surrender, assurance, and unity. We need to have all three of those. We must have all three of those in, in order to fulfill the work that God has called us to in this church. Now, the, the Lord added each one of us to Mission Boulevard Baptist Church. I hope that as I'm looking around, I think most of us are in that ballpark. We may have a, a few that are, that are visiting tonight, but I want to talk specifically to, to the members, and any that are here tonight that are not members will be able to benefit from that somewhat. But can you remember the time that the Lord himself made you know personally that this is your people, that this was your pastor, that this is your church, this is your team, this is the group that God wants you to serve him with. He wants you to be a part of fulfilling this ministry here. Do you have that kind of a memory? Now, if you, now I'm not asking you what the date was. You know, it's kind of like being married. Uh, I don't remember sometimes, I mean, if you ask me right now, I don't know what year I got married. I'm sorry, but I don't. In fact, uh, sometimes I'm not sure if it was June the 18th or June 30th. One of those is her birthday and the other is the anniversary. But I do know this, I'm married. <laughs> and I remember the event clearly, <laughs> whenever it was. <laughs> and you, so, so I'm not asking for, for a, a time and a date, but I am asking, do you, did you have a significant experience with the Lord that stands out in your mind that this is where I'm supposed to be? You must have that, because if you don't have that, you're missing one of the legs of your stool. You're missing one of the legs. If you don't have that assurance, that conviction, that experience between you and God, where God made you know that this is your place, this is your people, this is your team, Brother Brian is your pastor. If you don't have that sense that God connected you here, you're missing a very important element in your life, and you are likely to come crashing down. You're likely to fall over, likely to, to uh, uh, be weak and susceptible to being drawn away because that, that important part is missing. What is the passage of Scripture that tells us that God's the one that adds people to the church? What's the passage of Scripture that tells us that God places the members in the church, everyone as it pleases Him? I know that we've probably heard that quoted many times, but can somebody give me the the uh, book, chapter, and verse. 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, let's turn over there. Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's turn, turn to that. See, this is a passage that we need to, to have fixed in our mind because it's important for us to connect our experience to the Word of God. To connect our experience to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, we have one man that's, that's put a bid on, on 18. Any other bids? Yes, it is verse 18, yes. Uh, 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. The Lord is the one that places us in the body, but not only does he place us in the body, he's the one that gives us our particular function in the body. Isn't that noteworthy? That whenever the Lord adds someone to the church, he doesn't simply add someone to go warm a pew. But he adds that person to the church as a member of a body, a functioning, living, contributing member of, of the body of Christ, Mission Boulevard Baptist Church, to do the work of the church. Okay, that's very important. We've got to have that fixed in our mind that the Lord has set me in this church as it has pleased him. 
if we forget that or we lose that or we don't have assurance of that, then we are, we're going to be vulnerable to, to walk out. We're going to be vulnerable to leave. We're going to be vulnerable to give up on the ministry that God's given us and to, and to think that, well, it's okay, I can serve the Lord just as well somewhere else. Really? If you have the assurance and conviction that God added you here, then you cannot, in the same mind, logically say, well, the Lord added me here, but that's okay, I can serve him somewhere else just as well. Not if the Lord added me here. Not if the Lord added me here. So that's one of the legs of the stool. Another leg of the stool is surrender. Surrender. I want to ask you to come with me to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. What is Nehemiah famous for saying? What is probably one of the most famous statements that Nehemiah is known for? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. Yes. The joy of the Lord is, is, is your strength. And what was Nehemiah's response? Another famous statement of, of Nehemiah, whenever he was invited to come down to the plains of Ono, what was, what was his response? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Let's go over to the book of Nehemiah, uh, which is just before Psalms. Okay, after Ezra and before Esther. Nehemiah chapter 1. But although whenever Nehemiah was enticed to leave his work and to go down to the plain of Ono to have a conference with Sanballat and Tobiah and those other people that wanted him to quit the work. And, and he said, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I come down to you? Where did Nehemiah get that perspective? Where did that viewpoint, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down, where did that begin? It didn't begin when, Noah, when Nehemiah was in Jerusalem standing there building the wall. That conviction that I am doing a great work and I cannot come down begins in Nehemiah chapter 1. Come with me there to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah's conviction, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down, began with a broken heart. Now listen, that's one of the differences between someone that is a true servant of God and somebody that's just building a spiritual empire for himself. Somebody that's just trying to make a name for himself. The one that is the true servant of God doing the great work before God is one whose work began with a broken heart. Let's look at Nehemiah. Uh, just just uh, stay with me here for, for a few minutes. Uh, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chisalu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. See, Nehemiah's got a concern for the, for the people of God and for the things of God. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed 
before the God of heaven. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth mercy, covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and, and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. See, Nehemiah was going to go ask the king for permission to return to go to Jerusalem and build the wall. But that determination to go do that work began how? With a broken heart. A broken heart. Do you know one of the things that appears to be missing in Christian messages today? is the message of a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. We have lots of messages about, you know, lots of things, doctrines, uh, how-tos, lots of, lots of messages about how Christians should be in unity and all of this kind of thing. But you know, it's, there's very little about the need for a broken and a contrite heart, repentance before God. Nehemiah's great work that he was engaged in so that he could not come down began with a broken heart. That's one of the legs of the stool. Whenever we lose that brokenness before God, whenever we lose that tenderness, whenever we lose that sense that we are unworthy and, and that we are sinful before him and that we stand based on God's mercy to us through the Lord Jesus Christ every day, when we lose that sense... We're missing one of the of the stools that our the the uh, that our one of the legs that our stool sits upon. We are missing that, and we are vulnerable to fall. We are vulnerable to be led away and to go do something else with our life. That tenderness, that that tenderness about our sin, that sense of our of our own selfishness, our our innate re rebellion and disrespect toward God, that that's still a part of us and it's destructive and I need to be confessing it and releasing it, <laughs> releasing it before the Lord and making sure that I am tenderly following the God. If I stop doing that, I can become hard, crusty, oh, determined. <laughs> determined, you know, to do that great work, but without a broken heart, we become like the Ephesians, don't we? We, lose, we leave our first love. So that, that, uh, that brokenness. Psalm 51, uh, the, the last verse in Psalm 51 says, a, a, or one of the last verses in Psalm 51, 
A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And then, of course, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Can, you, can, we, can we quote that together? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know, that the, uh, the theme of those two verses is surrender. Surrender our life to the Lord. Have that broken and contrite heart. And present your body a living sacrifice. I mean, just think about this. If I say, okay, I'm going to present my body a living sacrifice. And let's say I'm supposed to put the living sacrifice here, right there on that corner. Okay, here I go. Which part did I leave at the podium? Where's my brain? It's here in the living sacrifice spot, isn't it? Where's my attitude? It's in the living sacrifice spot. Where are my eyes? You see, when we present our body a living sacrifice, we're giving everything. A living sacrifice is not something that happens from the teeth out. It's on the inside. And he emphasizes that on, in the second verse, doesn't he? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, the be transformed from the inside out, from the way that we think out. Be transformed, be completely changed. And all of that comes from a broken and a contrite heart. Because Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based upon God's forgiveness, love, tenderness toward us, based on, on his love and how he has demonstrated that love to us, to accept us and forgive us and, and uh, make us his, his child, based on all of his blessings and mercy to us, he says, I want you to give your body a living sacrifice. This is what I want you to do. This is it. You know, sometimes a person might do something for us. And our response, we're, we're just so much appreciate what that person did. Maybe they helped us out financially, or maybe they gave us a hand when we were moving, or whatever, whatever it may be. And, and we feel genuinely appreciative, and we look at them and say, what can I do to show my appreciation? Because you really want to do something to show your appreciation, right? And what can we do to show our appreciation for God's mercies to us? Give our body a living sacrifice. And so it comes out of that appreciation. So one leg of our stool is the conviction or the assurance that God has placed me here. Another, another leg of that stool is surrender to the Lord, a broken and a contrite heart. And then the third one is unity. The third one is unity. Striving for the unity of the Spirit. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> It has to become a significant issue with us to stay in unity with our brethren. You know, Christians are famous for, for uh, the kind of things they split up over, aren't we? Churches will split over what color of carpet 
to put down or what kind of door to to put out there or you know any number of any number of silly things uh, uh, we we are known for that uh, Christians are known for for separating over trivial things but we're also known for going separate ways on significant things but come with me to Ephesians chapter 4 in in the church in our church Paul tells us I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity with our brethren must be an issue with us. We, we, cannot, we, we cannot walk around with this attitude of, well, you know, generally the church is, I agree with what the church is doing, but I really have some issues with this, this, and this. So that what, what, what comes forth from us, instead of being a sense of, hey, I'm a member of the team, I'm in here all the way, I'm, I'm gung-ho. Instead, our impression is, well, I'm sort of divided, you know, I'm not really sure if I go along with this or that or the other thing. And, and that is our influence. If we are not committed to total unity in the church, then our presentation to one another is division. We've got to make a point to be in unity, to be in unity on doctrine. We need to know the doctrines of our church and we need to line up with those doctrines of our church. If, again, go back to our first point. If the Lord added me here and the Lord made me a part of this body, then he wants me to be in doctrinal unity with this church. He doesn't want me to say, well, I'm here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress this other doctrine here and get those folks straightened out. On this, that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to be in unity on those things. Uh, uh, Brother Brian, at one time in our church, mentioned that as we were going through a difficult time, mentioned the three D's. Three D's. Dissension, division, and dissipation. Dissension. You know, disagreeing with what's going on. Division. Well, which side are you on? You know, and kind of dividing up into camps. And then dissipation, leaving. Those are things that happen when people are not surrendered, when people do not have the conviction that God wants them here, and whenever we are not determined to be in unity and to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 as we're uh, winding down here. Proverbs 6. Yes? Beginning in verse 16, that's the passage that begins with, These six things doth the Lord hate. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So if we find ourselves involved in any of those things, we are involved in attitudes and behaviors that make us detestable in the sight of God. Things that, that are an, an abomination to Him. And that's why we need to maintain that broken heart. 
We don't want to let ourselves become an abomination to the Lord. We want to remain pleasing to Him. Therefore, we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. We need to maintain that surrendered heart. And we need to remind ourselves before God with His Word, this is where God wants me to be. The Lord brought me here. And, and the Lord made me to know, this is my church. These are my people. This is my pastor. This is my team. And I need to get in and, and participate and do my part by God's grace and power and by His Spirit. So thank you. I just wanted to encourage us in, in those things tonight because um, we, we need that, that encouragement. We need that encouragement. We need, to, we need to build our membership. We need to build ourselves. We need to be faithful. And to, and to have some points like that are very helpful. So thank you so much for your attention tonight. I'll uh, let Brother Brian close us out. You place to assemble. Just my home. Old farm out there. And I went onto the campus and started handing out. Well, I put in their, in their mailboxes. Invitations to come out to the poor farm. Have something to eat. Have some recreation. Just have a good time. And this was called the Disney Poor Farm, the reality sessions of the Disney Poor Farm. People came out for the food and the recreation and to get acquainted with local people. Because most of these kids came from a long way off. South Arkansas, Central Arkansas, up in Missouri, Chicago, New York, uh, uh, other countries. Are you with me? They just wanted some fellowship. They just wanted to get acquainted with some local people. Right? Well, they would come out there, and we would have this fellowship. We would put recreation up, put up all kinds of things around for them to do, and uh, then build a bonfire, set, set that fire going, and after a little while, call them in, and we'd sit around and have weenies, hot dogs mostly, nothing else, just hot dogs and maybe some whatever else we could stick out there. And those kids would enjoy that. They liked it. And then I would raise an issue, spiritually, while we were sitting around that bonfire. I'd just ask a question. I would set out to confound them and see if they could answer it. And I would just have fun with it, see? Finally, I'd come up after they were thoroughly confounded because I knew how to, you know, gainsay them. And whatever answer they gave, like they were getting on the campus, and then they were very excited. And that group, out of that group, uh, maybe many wouldn't come back out of that group, but some of them would, and they'd bring people with them. And it grew up. It grew to be quite a few people. And they wanted me to come around all over Arkansas and have these sessions for students and others that would come. And it was really good. And that's how our ministry started. It didn't start with the assembly. It started with fellowship, activities, social things, right? And it grew up into a church. And when the church became a church, I had to turn and do the work of seeing a church established and built and, and the mechanism of it. And that's been quite a while. And as we come to this place right now, I'm, I'm very deeply moved 
by the fact that now, we, we're, after 40 years, what happens after 40 years? Well, you start over. Well, in a sense, you have a renewing. So I, I see the renewing now as me and a bunch of disciple families and people that are thoroughly established in the faith and the doctrines so that Martha and I aren't by ourselves anymore. And it's the time to begin to emphasize the social aspect, the gathering of people by offering them the opportunities to, to have fellowship and meet and different, I, I've been brainstorming different things. You've got the campus ministry, you've got the RU ministry, you got the, well, the youth ministry, you got the, you got many different ministries that can reach out in exactly the same way I did, not in the assembly. The assembly is what's going to keep the, the nerve center, the principal persons involved in ministry, capability like Martha and I, to keep them built up, to keep us encouraged and reinforced in the assembly. And as those other people are one and disciple out there, that they can come in. And those are the kind of people that maintain the excitement of the early ministry. When we first started building the church, it was filled with people like that. See? But I think that all of this period of time is a, hmm, what, what do you call it all over the years? It's a refining and preparatory to extend a larger ministry than Martha and I could have done. It, it doesn't do a lot of good these days to knock on doors, and it didn't then. The people are going to come to uh, something that they like. Like, what, what if every Thursday night we had a, a, a gospel saying here, just a gospel saying and a feed back here, I mean, just, you know, sandwiches or whatever, and we had something like that for people to come into. There, there's a lots of people around enjoy that sort of thing. And we've got some great talent. There's great talent around the countryside. We'd let them Thursday night be the... I, I'm not saying we're going to do that particularly, but that's one of those things you think about, see? And I can think of many things we can do. But in order to do that, our church has to be mature and has to have a, a, enough people who will support that particular aspect of reaching out so that we have the resource of laborers to accomplish it. But at, at any rate, that's, uh, that's been very exciting to me, and it's, and it's something I'm really looking at seriously, have been since perhaps back in November or October, before October, before our time, uh, and when we began to have a period of discordant spirits in our church, I'm pretty sure that was what some would, would feel was um, a negative thing. And it well, is a negative thing in a certain way, but, but a refining, a purging of the vine, a preparation. And also Satan uh, getting suckered into thinking, well, I'll destroy that church. I'm not going to let that happen. So at any rate, uh, I have listened to a whole lot of folks over the last few months. And at various times, I've tested them out. They wanted to come and meet with me. And 
me hear from them. And I got them. I tested their patience and their willingness to go along with things from the leadership that they don't, don't particularly care for personally. And, and it, was a, it was intended as a refining thing. But uh, right now, I'm feeling very, I mean, I'm excited about those, that principle. I'm excited about turning, going back into the campus personally. Putting my time there. A lot of time there. Putting more of the pastoring up on some individuals other than myself, distributing that so that our church that is established can be sustained and, um, and reinforced by uh, folks that can give me some liberty to get out, for instance, on the campus. That's, that's where my heart is. It's where it's always been, intensely, is on the campus. It's, it's here, and I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying that I've looked out there and thought, man, I'd, I'd love to spend more time in there. So at any rate, uh, anybody awake? Amen. <laughs> anybody awake at all? So, well, Brian, what you're doing is you're going to put a lot of labor, a lot of work. Hey, we don't have much time left. That's right. Come on. We do not have much time left. And uh, I want uh, we need some exciting, excited people. And the excited people are not going to be the ones who's hung around, carried the loads like this a lot for, for so long. It's going to be as new people come. We've got to see new people, don't we? So at any rate, uh, we've got a good, solid, sound group of people that can maintain the soundness of our doctrines, the soundness of our, of our discipleship ministry and vision, and we want to apply it. We want to we get a bunch of people and start working with them. Of many different classes of people. And so, uh, think about it. Pray about it. I want you to, to do that. Now, concerning this business of Ephesians chapter 4, I'm thinking this way. You know, it's always been a problem with me because I've understood the doctrine of the church. It's a covenanted institution that God builds. And as a brand new Christian, or a Christian, period, you know what the main thing you've got to do first? You've got to find your church. Because God is going, because you're going to get a lot of wind of doctrine out there. Every wind of doctrine is out there, isn't it? That's right. This church, and that church, and this church, and that church, and there's all kinds of different churches out there, Right? So the first thing you've got to do is study ecclesiology, churchdom, the principle there, for about 10 years. And then after you've really understood that doctrine, then, then you can begin to look around with some wisdom about where your church is, right? No. God has a plan and it begins with His Spirit directing a person into their church. Because that place is where He wants them to be taught. And if they are been taught wrong, he wants them to get straightened out there. So you've got to know in your heart, don't lie to me and say, this is my church where God has sent me. Don't do that. That's a bad thing, isn't it? Isn't it? That's right. If this is your church, then God has added you here like that finger on that hand and not, again, a pile of wood on my arm. Right? Isn't that correct? 
We're made into an organism. A functional organism where every member has a function. Is that correct? And God provides the teachers and the pastors and etc. Doesn't he? And he says, so that we can learn and come into the unity of the faith as he directs it at that point. In other words, you say, well, I moved. God put me in this church, but I don't agree with this. Well, he put you there to come to agreement with that because that's what he, how he wants you to understand it. He's not going to put you over here, see, unless you didn't really come that way and you fibbed about it. You said, yeah, God's leading me here. Because every person that comes here, I ask them, is God leading you here? I, I honestly want you to determine that in your heart. Because if you're a young person and, uh, and you come in to this church like some, well, and, and, and you're not telling the truth, then Satan just using you to hook somebody and grab them and take them out. <coughs> See, that's the way, that, isn't that correct? That's, that is We've seen that over and over and over again. Over and over again. Now, this passage here that says in God, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says, Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body. Now, what's the body? It's the church. Now, is the church universal or local? Are you sure? Are you sure it's local? Well, I do know I can read and find local churches in the New Testament, right? And so he places you in the church that he wants you in, that he wants you in. That's all you've got to know. That's the first thing you've got to know. You may not know anything other than you're saved. Or you may have studied a lot of false theology or false notions of, of behavior or Mm, operation principles. But God knows where you belong and where He wants you to gain your doctrinal positions and your concepts of practice and, and so forth. You understand? And He'll give you a pastor. He knows who your pastor is. Is that correct? Some people have no notion of that. And they just wander like well, John the Baptist was, it said, he's not a, wind, a, a, a reed blowing in the wind. In other words, he knew his stand. He knew his position. But there's every wind of doctrine out there. There's every kind of thing going. What has God given you to protect you? He's given you a pastor. Who selected your pastor? Take heed to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. That's your pastor that God's placed you there. And you're to regard that situation, see? You're to understand that. When God took you into the church, He took you into covenant relationship with those people. Isn't that correct? He gave you your pastor, etc. And He has established then a relationship between you and your pastor. Has He not? That that's your pastor. And there are certain obligations toward Him and certain obligations toward you as a member. God says, take heed to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you over. That means I've got responsibilities towards you. And if I were just to shake it off, now that, there's a covenant in a marriage relationship, isn't it? And in that, there is a determined relationship that God has established between those two people. Now, I'm not saying it's the same as a pastor 
member relationship. But, but it's the same in the principle of covenant, right? And you don't just get up and walk off and leave your wife. You shouldn't even marry her unless the Lord had led you to do that and, and given you that. Isn't that correct? That's right. So, the same is true of your church. Those are relationships of covenant between you and the Lord. And those are relationships you don't hold lightly and walk away from unless God truly leads you. But wouldn't he do that without telling your pastor? If, you, if I'm told, take heed to the flock, that means Tom here, and he suddenly goes wandering off on his own, just gets up and takes off, he never, he never talks to me. You say, well, it's none of your business. He knows God's leading. Well, if God, he knows God's leading, he's going to do it according to the Word of God, is he not? Amen. And the Word of God says that there's a relationship between us that he is to re regard and a relationship toward us that I'm to regard. <coughs> and if God's leading you and I'm your pastor and the Lord says take heed, he'd better let me know it. Because I don't want anybody here the Lord wants somewhere else. But I want everyone here that the Lord does want here. Because I know those people are being scattered. And in that scattering, they're, they're going to be subject to, well, they're not going to be under the protection and oversight or anything else that God provided for the maximum level of their maturity and fruitfulness. Read that verse, chapter 11, beginning in verse 4, or chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Read through the whole thing. Please do that. Don't let another day go by before you read that. Ponder it and think about it. Because this is very important. These are very important principles. People need to understand it to be able to be sound. Let's stand. <clears throat> Now, I talk to you. I'm very excited about things right now. I'm very excited about what the Lord is doing in me. I'm, I'm telling the Lord, the Lord, I'm close to the end of my sojourn. His response has been, well, hey, listen. Um, I don't necessarily give you a long life, Brother Disney, much longer. You've just got a short time. Make it abundant. Make it abundant. He'll give me the energy. He'll give me the means. And uh, I'm going to try to provide leadership that will get us off of the, the, the dead center here on to reaching out and gathering people in. Not necessarily in this assembly, except they will come as we disciple them. Right? I remember discipling those individuals and they were going to all different kinds of churches around. And whenever we, they, they began to say, well, listen, Brother Disney, uh, they're, they're, we've, we, we've got to, we, we've never really understood this principle of the church being added to the church. And we just don't feel that the Lord is adding us, added us where we are, some of them, because there were churches that were clearly not satisfying the criterion of the New Testament for that. And when I talk about the criterion of the New Testament, I'm saying what the Bible teaches concerning the church. The Lord's not going to add you to a church that's not a true church. That's just going to be a deal between you and your emotions, your feelings, your culture, your background, and etc. 
but it's different when the Lord adds. And that's why I want to emphasize that a great deal. All righty. Bow our heads. Are you ready? <clears throat> Are you ready for us to step out as a church, begin to utilize every device we can, that the Lord will lead us in to reach out? We're ready to use our old farms and our places and have a group of people come and socialize with them, open, getting them open, having a, an opportunity to share with them, people that would never come in here. That's what I want to see. That's why I think the Lord prepared us for as a people over the years, and that's, I think, the time is now to begin to think about that, to pray, at least to pray about it. I know I personally am going to put a lot more effort out there. Doesn't mean everybody will hear this, that you may be a supportive person. <laughs> we may be passing people through you for you to put your stamp on. You may just get completely filled up. That'll be all right. 